Welcome to our first Author Chat podcast with the Calendar Public Library. Tonight we'll be speaking with the author Leslie Choice, author of Broken Man on a Halifax Pier. If you're interested in participating in future author chats, be sure to contact the library and we'll make sure that you can join us for the next one to ask questions. So before we get started, I'll just say sort of welcome to everyone for, to, for coming and I'm very happy that you're all here. If anybody else happens to trickle in a little bit later on, then I'll be, I'll let them in and we can catch them up to speed. Um, so typically how this works is since we have such a nice small group like this, we can sort of shoot out questions and ask Leslie a little bit more naturally. We don't necessarily have to take turns in any regimented order. Uh, but I will recommend if you're unfamiliar with Zoom, a good tip is if you're not speaking at that moment or don't intend to anytime soon, if you mute your mic, then it just makes sure we don't have any extra feedback that we don't need, uh, that sort of thing. Yeah, exactly. So if you want to, just so there's no feedback or anything like that. Uh, but otherwise, for anybody who has perhaps not uh, obsessively looked into your history in order to prepare for tonight, Leslie, if you want to run us through a little bit about yourself, that would be lovely. Uh, so I'm Leslie Trace. Um, welcome to the eastern shore of Nova Scotia. Uh, the fog has just rolled in here. We're right on Lawrencetown Lake, right adjacent to Lawrencetown Beach. So the ocean's just, you know, a stone's throw behind me here. Uh, it's been a beautiful day. And uh, I guess, you you know, you've read my book, uh, one of them, Broken Man on a Halifax Pier. I wrote up a little thing here. It's only about a minute long, so I'll read it to you in, in a second. But um, <clears throat> I've been writing for a long time. This was actually my 99th book. I think I have three or four more that have been published since then. So uh, I've got a lot of books that I've done. I'm really, really fortunate as a writer. Um, I write novels like Broken Man, sort of what I guess I think is literary or somewhat popular novels for adults. Um, I write young adult novels that have been translated into a lot of different languages. Um, I write books of poetry, a couple of kids books, not many, but a few, and um, some sort of autobiographical type books, you know, a little bit humorous, kind of tongue-in-cheek kinds of things. And uh, I also run Pottersfield Press, which is separate from my own writing, which goes out to different publishers. But uh, Pottersfield Press is a small publisher here in Nova Scotia. We mostly publish uh, Atlantic writers. So I uh, also teach creative writing at Dalhousie University and all these things I've been doing for quite a long time. So that's that's why I have so many books out there. I'm always happiest when I'm writing, Just trying to figure out why this week in particular, I was feeling kind of, you know, I mean, we're all feeling kind of rammy and kind of like, you know, gee, there's something a little bit wrong with the world. Um, but actually the pandemic's been going great for me because I'm mostly just, I've, I'm here in my own world where I can write, do my publishing work, get up in the morning, check the waves, go surfing if the waves are good. So, you know, I really don't have too much to complain about, but I guess all I could pin down was the fact that I just finished a wine, writing a, a YA novel and I'm kind of between writing projects. So that always sort of makes me feel a little bit up in the air. Anyway, welcome to my office, my home here on the Eastern shore of Nova Scotia. I'm gonna read this little thing only because I'm, I'm a getting prepared kind of guy. It's kind of a statement about a broken man on a Halifax pier. And beyond that, I'm thrilled to have the you know, discussion and for you to ask me anything. Here's my little write up. <clears throat> How could I have written and seen the publication of 99 books? 
I asked myself that question and it really, it does seem odd. After all, I didn't have a book published until I was 29. So if my math is correct, all were written in the brief space of 39 years. You know how quickly that goes by. So that's an average of 2.538 per year, according to my calculator. So just for the record, I believe I have six or seven books that I wrote um, that are never, they never found a publisher, they didn't get published. And of course, I had a few more upcoming projects, you know, always something on the go. So Broken Man on the Halifax Pier was number 99. I think it embodies much of what I've learned over the years writing books that I pour my heart and soul into. Writers like to say that anyway, it's sort of true. It's pure fiction. It's not the story of my life in any way that I can fathom. The setting is the eastern shore of Nova Scotia, where I live. My protagonist, Charles, is himself a struggling writer, so I can identify with him on those two counts. And yes, despite my grandiose numbers, I too am a struggling writer. Like any novelist worth his salt, I struggle to get it right, to tell a story that has heart, a story where the reader will truly care about the characters. There's joy in writing, but after the euphoric first draft, there's tedious work, doubt, frustration, blood, sweat, and tears, and ultimately a feeling of satisfaction that I've added small contribution to the grander story of being human. I did recently ask myself, what is the book about? Since I could never answer the question while writing it, I decided it's just a story. Within that story are a few essential truths to what I've learned on my short tenure on this planet. It'd be silly for me to try to outright explain everything that I discovered in answering this question, but I'll pony up one surprise that I discovered, and that was it. When you're down and out, there will always be someone there who will come to your aid, and that person is quite likely going to be a complete stranger. There's me. There's a little bit about the book. Perfect. Thank you. Uh, did anybody want to start off with any questions that they had for Leslie or while you were reading? Oh, so Leslie, I loved your book. Um, it certainly I love the East Coast. That's the thing about um, and I have um, my niece married a, a young man from Antigonish. And so we got to have the wedding there and you know, meet all sorts of people. So it certainly, nice. the way you wrote it, I really felt like it was, I was down East, you know, with, with, with the people there that I had met. And um, the, the thing that I, that's interesting that when you just said that when you're down and out, the, the first person that's going to help you is a stranger. So I'm still trying to process that because that's really a lovely thought and interesting. But you know that the story was so complex. There was so many people that had their own. It could be a story about a lot of the characters, the way that you develop them. The one part of the story that really intrigued me was when he, at the very end, when Charles discovers the love letters that had been kept. Uh, they had been kept, but they had been given away in the in the um, oh. Uh, what did, oh, it was toolbox, a toolbox yeah. in the toolbox, toolbox, trying to think of what yeah. it was, toolbox, yeah. but then they came back to him, people started bringing things back to him, so in some ways, it was like his father or mother didn't want him to see those love letters, but for some reason, they came back to him, 
And then he discovers, of course, that, you know, the sacrifices that his father made by going away to work and how the mother patiently waited for two years for him to save enough money to buy the property. And then they built, build the house. And then after the mother passes, then he dismantles the house and gives everything away. To me, like there's a whole, you could write a whole book about that process. It was so brilliant the way, and it, it really intrigued me the way that you um, described that. It was so lovely. And it, it also, because, you know, I'm an older woman and my parents, you know, you, you forget that your parents were young and had made sacrifices for each other and all of those things. And um, it reminded me that when my father was in his 90s, I was I used to say to him, what did you like about mom when you met her? And he would get a big smile on his face and he would say everything. <laughs> and it was so beautiful to see that because I grew up the whole time we were growing up. I don't remember him ever saying he loved everything about her, you know, but um, he, he remembered that as he was older. So anyway, that whole part of the story I thought was a small part, but it really it really touched my heart. So I wonder if you have any comments on that. Yeah, well, thanks for breaking that down. And um, thanks for allowing me to remember that uh, from the novel. I, I should have <laughs> put it out of my head once it's written and published. Um, I, I, you know, as I listened to you describe it there, I remember what I was trying to get at is that, you know, children don't really know their parents as individuals or um, and I had great parents too, my mother and father, and they, they were my mother and father. And, you know, to, to sort of envision before I existed in the world that they, they had a romance and a life. And, you know, even especially like you mentioned, all those sacrifices and things that were made, which kind of get erased. Uh, my parents never talked much about that after, you know, myself and my brother came into the world. So I think I was trying to get at that surprise, uh, especially because Charles was a guy who ran away from home in essence. I mean, he was older, but he just, he just closed the door on yeah. that life where he grew up in this little fishing village. And so this was, you know, him going back after being the broken man on the Halifax Pier, him going back to this little rural community was him trying to rediscover his past, reconnect with his past, and especially that thing about the father. Um, I don't know where I got it from, um, whether I made it up or borrowed it or like writers do, stole the idea from someplace else. You know, the idea that, you know, once the father, once the mother was gone, the father uh, tore down the house, gave the pieces away. So he dismantled his life. And then Charles comes into the town and, you know, is, going to that same location and he's rebuilding his own life on, on that location. Um, I think I just get lucky in telling stories like this, that these pieces come in from places. Uh, often I don't know where they come from and maybe I'm borrowing from other stories or from fragments of stories that other people tell me that I then embellish. I think you probably find that every writer's just picking away at you know what, whatever you know comes into our radar at the time that we're writing a story. Well, I, I just feel you could do a whole book, you know, a prequel to, <laughs> to, the, to, to that, uh, because I think it, you know, Charles, as you say, he, he leaves because he doesn't want the life that his father had. And then when he has his life and it ne doesn't necessarily turn out the way he wants it, he comes back and creates a life 
you know, uh, and, and then starts to appreciate, you know, what his father, uh, you know, sacrificed to, um, you know, to make the life there and that it, there was some value to it. Um, so anyway, I'll, I, I don't want to monopolize all the time, but I just, um, I, if you write that book, you have to let us know because <laughs> I'll be wanting okay. to read it for sure. I, I will think about it for sure. <laughs> Thank you. Hi, it's Arlene. Can I ask a question? Um, I have not read the, the book yet. Um, I'm waiting for our library is going to get it. Um, but I'm intrigued by uh, your prolific writing. And I'm glad that you uh, sort of talked about how long you've been writing. But uh, as a teenager, was that like a career choice you were thinking of? Did it come across upon you gradually or or suddenly? I'm, I'm interested in that sort of thing. What what got you gave you the bug? So as a teenager, I wanted to be a marine biologist. <laughs> Jacques Cousteau. So um, I first went to university in East Carolina University in North Carolina. I grew up in New Jersey, um, moved to Canada in 1978, just for the record, a long time ago. But uh, so I went to East Carolina University in North Carolina to study marine biology and discovered that I was really bad at math and therefore pretty terrible at sciences. But I was good at writing stories in English and things like that. And somewhere back, I think in grade six, um, I had an English teacher or teacher who asked the class to write a story, a short story, fiction. I wrote something and she gave me an F. She said, you couldn't possibly have written this, it's plagiarized. And of course I had written it and I couldn't convince her otherwise. And uh, she then asked me to rewrite something. So I wrote something really kind of sketchy and she gave me a B and she said, well, see there, that's your lesson. And I never convinced her otherwise that the original one that she gave me an F was really my own, but I kind of took that as a cue that maybe this is just something that I'm good at, that if I work at, I'll get better. So as I went through university and you know graduate school in New York City, to, so I could teach literature, at least in university, I kept writing and I was writing and wrote two or three full complete manuscripts before I had anything accepted. And you know along the way there, I moved to Canada at the time. And, that's pretty much where it hit. You know, I think that there's two things really, um, the combination of moving to Nova Scotia, of immigrating to Canada and feeling this was precisely the place on the planet where I was supposed to be. And a lot of what I've written about is set in Nova Scotia. I mean, there's the real Nova Scotia that's here and we have all the same problems that the rest of Canada has, uh, but there's the mythical Nova Scotia, which is a little bit in the broken man story and in some of my other novels. And that's sort of this idealized mytho mythological place that I've created, you know, that's partly inside my head. So the two fused together, you know, that the writing and the move to Nova Scotia for me worked out very, very well, at least, you know, in my own personal history that goes on in my head. So uh, I think that's where the writing is. And, you know, as I was hinting at earlier, I'm, I'm happier when I'm writing. You know, not all day, but, you know, if I can get up in the morning, get some surf in for an hour, sit down and write for a couple of hours, and you know, get on with other things in my life. That's very much a perfect day for me. So I think the writing, you know, being a writer is very much a lifestyle choice. 
I realize that like most book writers in Canada, you probably cannot make a living from it. In fact, you know, the, uh, I'm a member of the Writers Union of Canada. The income for most of us book writers has dropped, I don't know, 30, 40% in the last five or six years. Canadians are buying more and more books, mostly American British books. They're buying fewer and fewer Canadian books. I was shocked to learn this. I didn't realize that that shift had happened somewhere into the you know, 1980s into 1990s. So it's kind of sad that that's the case. I, you know, I can't say I'm hurting as a result of it, but it, you know, it's a little bit worrisome that you know, there's been that decline. Um, so it's really good to hear about you know, the kind of promotions that the Ontario library system was doing here with the awards and everything. So thanks very much, folks in Ontario. <laughs> Thank you. Now, um, did you send a copy of your book to the school where you got the F? <laughs> no, no, I didn't. This would have been back in Cinnamons in New Jersey. Um, couldn't have, you know, this would have been long, long ago. I guess it was the 1960s, early 1960s. So um, who knows that particular teacher's gone. She was a very kind, good teacher, by the way, which is you know, oh. sort of funny. So I clearly forgive her for that and take it ultimately as a positive thing uh, okay. rather than a negative. Yeah. Well, you're very generous that way then. Thank you. Do you think that uh, the sort of decline in the Canadians reading Canadian books has something to do with the sort of impression that um, Canadian books are almost their own genre, if you know what I mean? Like when you think of Canadian literature, you think of a few very specific examples and a sort of very specific style of writing that seems to be sort of less popular. Do you think that that impression has something to do with the decline? Well, I, I don't know. To be honest, I, I, it's a bit of a mystery to me. Um, I could, maybe it has something to do with, you know, we've become so internationalized because of the internet that, you know, we're less parochial or less, you know, focused on our own. Um, I, I think, I don't know if I could blame anybody right now, but it seems for a while that, you know, that all the books winning the awards and that were the you know, the Governor General's Awards and the Gilbert Prize and all that. So they were very, very serious kinds of books that lacked humor. But I do see that there's some really interesting, funny books out there this year. If any of you are brave enough to tackle it, a book called Dirty Birds by, uh, do you know his name? Somebody Morgan. He's actually from Cape Breton, originally from Saskatchewan, I think. And it, uh, it's a very, very funny book. So there's, you know, there is, you know, the humor out there. So, you know, aside from, you know, that kind of commentary, I don't know what to say about, uh, you know, the state of Canadian literature. There are many, many very fine writers producing very fine books. I know that what's happened because of the pandemic in the last year, um, it's going to become much, much harder for us writers to find publishers for our books. Okay. Uh, there's a big right. change that publishers have become far more conservative. They're, you know, they're kind of focused on marginalized groups, which is great, you know, because that needs to come around. But, you know, um, I think it's just going to be, you know, I think there's going to be fewer books being published, maybe, or the, the big publishers are going to be more conservative and looking for bigger sales rather than sort of a wide range of writers. But there, there's my little rant. I'm Mary. I um, I read your book over two days. 
uh, got it on a on a, one of those things. E reader. <laughs> what what is it? The, the e reader. <laughs> yeah. yeah okay. I thoroughly enjoyed it. I was just you know getting bleary eyed trying to see the print in it. It was, I thought it was excellent and. I think that that's what's wrong with a lot of the Canadian stuff. It's just so hopelessly, uh, I shouldn't say that, I, the uh, Canada reads stuff that they have. Those things are so depressing. You know, if, you, if I pick up a book, I'd like to pick up something like yours that has a little humor in it, has, you know, moves the story along. You want to be able to take, be taken into something that's uh, not necessarily all pleasant, but at least has some spirit to it. And that's what I found in your book. I really enjoyed it. There was one well, point in the story, and I thought, he's taken this too far. You know, I'm going to lose him. In the, and there's too many things here, poor guy. I expected the girl to die. I expect her to have some terminal disease at some point. But you went through that and you resolved it. And I thought you did an excellent job. Thank you. Um, just one little commentary about sort of that, that state of publishing is we probably have to go through this phase in, you know, maybe in publishing and culture and everything where there, there is, you know, a lot of emphasis on the darker elements of Canadian history that sort of needs to get out there and then we will we'll move on. I think, you know, what I know of the history of literature is that, you know, there are these these periods of, you know, intense concentration about certain kinds of stories. I mean, to use a, you know, a very different example, but, you know, certainly a lot of literature coming out of World War II about the Jewish Holocaust and that sort of thing. I think it, it just needs to get out there. And then, um, you know, I still, prefer the diversity of voices, you know, all across the, the, the board and funny books or, you know, for me that when I'm reading the best books are the ones that are profound in some ways, but I still find myself laughing, you know, one page I'm riveted by some new philosophical thought, meaning of life kind of thing. And the next page, you know, I'm laughing at a, you know, the absurdity of the situation that the character gets into. So, you know, I guess I would aspire to that. You know, if somebody took Broken Man on a Halifax Pier and said, well, you know, really, was this great literature or what is this all about? Probably not great literature the way, you know, that it gets taught in universities, but it's something that, thank you. I mean, your comments again about the book were, you know, make me feel good because um, it, it held you, the story all the way through. And I recognize the dangers for me as a writer of when I would go too far and you want to you know, those stories where you want to throw down the book and say, oh, my God, that's just too much. Or, you know, does everybody have to die in the book? Well, no, they don't. But I guess, you know, problems come up. Um, issues are there. And usually the endings of my books don't have big resolutions to whatever the crisis or the problem is. They more have the, you know, in varying textures of this, it's like, we dealt with this and it's not perfect and now life goes on. Yeah. That's good. What is your definition of a book that is, I don't know. What does it have to have for you to think it's a really book worthy of our 
attention? It has to have heart and soul. And, you know, those are easy, foggy kind of words. I don't know. You know, uh, it's got to make me feel that, you know, the writer who's writing it's not just playing a game with me, not just trying to entertain me, but that the writer is, in fact, um, because of the craft that they have of writing, is somehow smarter than me and has a larger understanding. And so for me as a writer, this is what I'm always aspiring to. What do I have to offer the world? I'm not any smarter than the next person. You know, I've been working at my craft at writing all these years. I've written a whole bunch of books. What do I have to offer people now? Well, I, I know that entertainment is actually part of it, really should be part of it. I know that I can make people laugh sometimes. And then I guess the, the next biggest thing that I can attempt to do is make people care about my characters. And if they care about the characters enough, then they're going to follow the story all the way through. And so I can't cheat the reader too much by killing off my character or <laughs> having something that's, you know, just absurd happening. And that's the, you know, the ending of the book. So, uh, but endings, I would have to say, is the hardest thing for me and for many other writers. You know, where, how do you know how to end a story? Uh, sometimes I write five, six, or seven different endings, and then I pick one. Yeah, I can see that. Yeah. I've lost the question I was going to ask you. Do, do you start out when you write a book? Do you start out with a point of view that you're trying to make make people see some sort of specific thing with with your writing? Have you got a point to make with the story? Uh, no, I don't have that you know, that message. You know, I don't start out thinking about a message. Um, I read a number of essays, and um, some of them are like you know um, essays that end up in newspapers on the op-ed page or that that kind of thing. And there, I'll be I'll be opinionated. Uh, and I'll, you know, give my explanation and I'll say, this is what you should think and do that. But I don't do that in my novels. I think the novels, I have to be very careful not to be too preachy and not to have too much of a message. The message will come out on its own, I believe. But um, it's, you know, I, I definitely try not to be having an axe to grind in the writing. You know, it's just telling a good story. And, you know, the standard old fashioned thing. And I guess that's, you know, that, that's what makes a good Ultimately, what makes a good novel worth me reading is, you know, the writer telling a good story. Yeah. Yes. Um, yep. Yeah. yeah. I'm usurping everybody's time. I'm sorry. Hey, Mary. I'll, I'll ask another then. If, uh, as someone who's written so much, are you trying to make each work, do you hope that each work stands on its own or are you hoping to have some sort of thread that keeps your writing together like as a body of work? What's your goal? Uh, probably more like each book. You know, each book is a new thing for me um, because I write in different genres for different age groups. Um, I, I think they're quite different. I write quite a few young adult novels and I'm thrilled that I can still get away with that at my age. <laughs> and, um, you know, I get emails from kids uh, where they come by way of the publisher, you know, that um, some of those books are meant for reluctant readers even. So for those reluctant readers, uh, 
teacher, uh, sometimes even the teacher will gather up these notes and email them to me. And I can tell that the teachers made the kids write a note to the author. Uh, <laughs> my favorite note actually came from a kid in California who said, uh, dear Mr. Choice, you really ruined my first day back at school. Um, our teacher made us read your damn poem. And we had to sit here and write about this poem. And it really wrecked my day. So I thought there's a honest, you know, others are a little more positive than that but um you know so i i get a sense with the young adult books that i'm actually connecting with readers much more than i do with the adult books because i don't get much feedback you know i'll get a few reviews um the um the broken man on a halifax pier actually the um right it was well 2019 i guess it was it was before the lockdown it was my last maybe my last and maybe my final uh you know Canadian author book tour, and I went to the town, it, it was not to Toronto, or it was not to uh, Ottawa or Montreal or anything like that, it was to a little town in Ontario, not far from Ottawa, called Elmont, Ontario, it's a long way from where you guys are, I think, um, but I went there because one bookstore, um, the previous book of mine that came out before that, commercial break, The Unlikely Redemption of of John Alexander McNeil. On my screen, it comes up in reverse, which is really weird. Is, it, are the, is the title <laughs> word? When no, we can up? see it clearly. Okay. Okay, when I look at my screen over here, it's it's like a mirror thing. Anyway, that's interesting. So uh, this book, my final Canadian book tour, I went there because one bookstore in a small little town of uh, Almont, Ontario, I think it was about 3,000 people is the population, which I think is about the population of your town. Um, they sold 535 copies <laughs> from a little tiny bookstore, um, a Mill Street bookstore that was run by a person. It was because the booksellers there loved the book. And so following this came out Broken Man on a Halifax Pier, which took me for the book lunch uh, to Almont, Ontario. And uh, that was so fascinating because... You know, the book had almost no national attention, like wasn't reviewed in the Globe and Mail, no, you know, no CBC attention or anything like that. But it connected for some reason. It was a town I'd never been to in my life. I had no relatives there. There was no reason except for that bookseller that this one book was so popular there. And I think it, you know, it generated a fair bit of its own interest in Ontario, probably more in the small rural towns because of that. And that makes me very, very hopeful because, um, you know, they're in there's some kind of connection that happens. And I know, um, Sarah, that probably didn't even answer your question whatsoever. <laughs> there it is. <laughs> That's all right. <laughs> Leslie, I, I have to ask you about the sense of humor of Charles and his, the way that he, oh, was that on purpose that you had him Whenever the, often there'd be something serious com, or, or at least complicated going on. And then he would have this, oh, he would have this folksy offhand way of saying things that um, seemed, I'm not gonna say inappropriate, but, but almost, it was a bit distracting at times because he, because of that. So I guess my question, I, I'm way too wordy in my questions. I realize I'm, I apologize for my first question because I went on and on about it. But the second, my question is, was Charles, 
was that on purpose that you that he was that character was that was that was that a character you developed on purpose that way yeah, and that's a really interesting question. Uh, thanks for asking it. Uh, yeah, okay, so think about this. Here's my story. Uh, and the story came about because I was borrowing this line from uh, the Stan Rogers song, Barrett's Privateers, which some of you might be familiar with. It's a very classic bar uh, anthem that people sing down here. Um, and I realized what I've got here is a middle-aged white male who feels sorry for himself. He's lost his money. He's lost his job and all that. How pathetic of a novel could that be? It could be. <laughs> That's what very, I said. I opened it. <laughs> right? Right? So what am I going to do with Charles? I'm going to take that and I'm going to spin it. You know, um, I, I, for some reason, I was very interested in that. Uh, and again, this is not me, but, you know, the, the middle-aged guy lost his job. Um, of course, this was in my mind, you know, the whole idea that so many journalists and newspaper people were losing their jobs um, that, you know, I could see that, you know, what they would feel like, you know, they've had the rug pulled out from their under, under them, you know, and men, when they lose their jobs, they lose their identity and all that sort of stuff. So, you know, I've got this fairly pathetic guy in a pathetic situation, and now I've got to put a spin on that to make this fun and interesting uh, and uplifting for readers. So yeah, that's where his humor, his sarcasm, and, you know, and as soon as I say this, you'll probably remember this, read the book. Uh, it comes out best because of the Ramona character. When the two of them get together, because she's very sharp. She's very witty. She can, you know, when he's got a blast of a line that comes out that sort of like puts that spin on the situation, she comes right back with her own angle. So I think, I think the, the most fun I had was with the dialogue between those two characters. And of course, they're very, very different. They're coming from very different worlds, but they've come together at this particular point in their life. And of course, she's she's sort of that stranger, you know, my little intro that I read to you, um, the kindness of strangers. So here's Charles down and out, broken man on a Halifax pier. Um, he's not about to commit suicide or anything like that, by the way, although I suppose it's a little bit, seems like that's hinted at, but here she comes out of the blue, you know, it's not some old friend, it's not some old lover, it's not, you know, anybody from his family, it's this complete stranger. And there's this connection. And I was very, very fascinated by that connection, you know, between those two people and the way that, the way they both saw life came out, you know, when they get the kind of fiery interchange or the humorous, you know, dialogue that goes on there. Well, that was, that was, um, that was something that you did really well because I must admit when I would be listening to some of the things he would say, I was almost like cringing on his be on his behalf. Um, <laughs> and um, because as I say, it was just, it, it, it just, I could picture this man uh, and, and picture the woman trying to respond to, you know, the situation with his, what he had to say. And I just felt this, you know that you really you really did that well so i'm i'm and i was reluctant to ask you that question but i i'm glad i did because that really answers a lot about the dialogue and um so thank you Uh, is there anything that you would change looking back on the novel now that you've had some time to reflect since it came out? 
And have you reread it? I'm curious. <laughs> no, I, I actually don't. Once the book comes out, I pretty much move on. You know, I'm usually working on the next one. Um, and by the time the book gets published, I'm usually pretty much tired of it. And that's, that's because of the rewriting. You know, it's uh, like the joy is in the rough draft and then rewrite and rewrite and rewrite and rewrite. And, you know, I, I, I'll hire a personal editor to go through and find all of my silly little mistakes or words that I repeat too often, or, you know, little, little errors and things like that. And then those are publisher and they assign an editor and the editor goes through all that. And then, you know, I proofread it several times and then it finally comes out and I go, ah, okay, well, I'm done with that. I, you know, it's just kind of the way that it is, you know, as part of that craft that you do have to go through all of those stages. So I don't ever go back and revisit books and think, you know, I probably think about, well, maybe I could have gone with one of those different endings. Um, this one, I was had a hard time trying to, you know, figure out how to tie it together without it being too pretty at the end. It still needed to be believable and, and realistic. For me, you know, part of that comes back to Nova Scotia and what I view as kind of Nova Scotian sensibility, self-reliance, sense of humor. I mean, uh, maybe even this comes back to, you know, the thing about Charles and the way that he sees the world. So, you know, I moved here as an outsider in 1978, coming up, immigrating from New Jersey. And uh, some of the things that I noticed, uh, you know, about rural Nova Scotia down here in the Eastern Shore, of course, is that um, there's great understatement. You know, I bet you find this in your part of the world too. Um, you know, a um, hurricane would come through here and, you know, it'd be typical for a fisherman to say, you know, uh, we had a little blow last night. Yeah, yeah, got a little windy, you know, and that's pretty much the way that they would say it. You know, I mean, his boat might have washed in, you know, 20 miles down the coast or something like that. But uh, people sort of, they take hard times and they put a fairly positive spin on things or they find a, you know, a humorous angle to it. And I, you know, tried to build that into my stories, I think, because that those attitudes fascinate me. And I, I'm still kind of uh, clinging on to, you know, some of the older ways that are here. You know, we're, um, we're being pushed into the rest of the 21st century, like, you know, so many rural places now. And, uh, you know, I mean, there's a, in Halifax here, we, <laughs> we're going through this phase where, prices of houses and property is doubling within the year because so many people want to move to Nova Scotia. It's, it's just insane. I'm a little bit worried that we're going to lose more of our, you know, old culture, the traditional culture that's here. But um, I think I, I try to build some of that spirit into, into some of my stories. And so now I, you know, I, I don't revisit the stories. Once they're there, they're there. And I move on to the next book. And I, I tend not, for the most part, to revisit uh, characters or anything like that. Although I'm, I think I'm about to break that rule with one of my books, not this one, but another. Is there anything that you want to write someday that you haven't tried yet for some reason? Uh, sure. I'm not sure. I'm not sure I can give you an answer as to what it is, but um, I do like doing very, very, you know, different projects if I can get my head around them. 
Um, and I've been doing a fair bit of travel writing lately for, well, except I haven't been traveling lately, but uh, for a magazine called Celtic Life International. So I've been able to, you know, my wife and I are traveling to, you know, mostly European things and mostly Celtic places, Ireland and Scotland and Cornwall and um, Normandy, and, not Normandy, what's the other one? Brittany and France and those kind of things, because I can then kind of write some articles, but I don't write traditional travel articles. I've got, I look for the nooks and crannies and the, not the, the big tourist destinations, but the little in-between things that happen on your way to uh, the Eiffel Tower or wherever it happens to be. So, you know, I, I'd like to do, you know, a, a fair bit more of that. I've got a manuscript that's still trying to find a home called Around England with a Dog. My dog's not here. He's, he's in the rest of the house, he usually sleeps up here. Um, and it was just about my wife and I traveling around England with our West Highland uh, White Terrier and the interesting experiences that happened. So I'd sort of like to get more into that travel adventure kind of literature, I suppose. You know, if I'm given the opportunity, but we're kind of stalled here now. You know, like you, we're all, we're all staying in our communities, I guess, and staying mostly at home. Like everybody else. Yep. A calendar is uh, isn't that far from Almont, really? It's kind of, it's in northern Ontario and sort of uh, between uh, you know between Thunder Bay and you know Ottawa. So we're in. So we try we our little library is trying to raise enough money to um, to build a new library. So we have author talks, and so if we sell five hundred books, you'll come to um, calendar, will oh, you? Yeah. And maybe Absolutely. do an author talk, will you? Absolutely. <laughs> okay. Well, we better get on that, Sarah. We uh, that would be uh, that would be lovely to meet you in person and uh, and your dog and your wife. And uh, it is a beautiful part of the country. If you uh, you know if you have any uh, any uh, desire to to travel here. So. <laughs> How far are you from Sudbury? Only about an hour, hour and a half, maybe from Sudbury. Yeah. Okay, so I've been to Sudbury. It's been quite a few years now, uh, but uh, Canadian Children's Book Week, I think twice they sent me to Sudbury. So I visited, you know, schools. It was mostly, you know, visiting schools uh, in town there and a few rural communities that were around there. Copper Cliffs, I think, was one of them and a couple of others. Yeah. And, um, I went from there to uh North Bay on a little airplane. I think it was from there to North Bay in the middle of a snowstorm. And, you know, it was a classic Canadian author tour. I think it was November. It wasn't even the middle of the winter. Oh, my God. Do you, you have a rough November there? So cal calendar, is, calendar is near North Bay. We're only about it's a bedroom minutes from North Bay. And, yes, we can have snowstorms in November because I, I retired here to be near my daughter. And I, I, I'm, I was from Southern Ontario and yes, it is, we can have those sorts of things, but we would invite you in the summertime and it's beautiful okay. here. So, um, yeah, <laughs> so we'll have to get selling books. That's what we'll have to do. So, okay, please. Yes. <laughs> it's funny in terms of environment, we're probably uh, very similar to where you are and what you write about. So we're a very small town, rural, lots and lots of water around us. We have some of the same weird, wacky weather as Nova Scotia. 
Uh, my husband's actually from Nova Scotia and he's like, yeah, there's like basically no difference. Like he'll look at the weather where his parents are and it's like, oh yeah, it's one degree colder than here. Like that's, <laughs> it's like exactly yeah, that's the same. So you'd be very comfortable. Okay. One thing we don't have is tides. <laughs> okay. And surfing actually, you'd probably, see that's, that's what, ultimately brought me to Nova Scotia was surfing. So I, you know, if you go back to the marine biology, I still had the love of the ocean and I, I've been surfing since I was 13, I think. And uh, the, the waves are really good here. So this is my place. And not somewhere warmer, hey? You still settled in somewhere that gets pretty intense winters. Yeah, and uh, I surf through the year. I surf in the winter. It's actually winter surfing is actually fairly popular now. It's crowded, where once upon a time it would just be myself and you know two or three friends that would be surfing in January, but now to be you know a couple of dozen people on a good day. Wow. Here's, this was that came out after. I'll do my commercial. This came out after uh, Broken Man on a Halifax Pier, Saltwater Chronicles, Notes on Everything Under the Nova Scotia Sun. So this is kind of a collection of essays that incorporates oh, just lots of things, um, nonfiction, sort of autobiographical, uh, about the ocean, about the death of my father, about the subconscious mind, about um, rescuing animals here. We've got sort of a wildlife rescue place that's down the road from here and just all sorts of personal kinds of stuff. So, you know, again, it, it makes me think that I'm a very lucky person. I get to write many different kinds of books. I guess I'm a little bit worried that, um, you know, writers like me are going to have a harder time getting published in the near future. And, you know, I've, I'm going to have to work at that. That's all I can say, you know, to make that, to make sure that I'm allowed to keep doing it as I keep getting older and older. So as you write in so many different like styles and genres and even age groups like that, is there one type of writing that you find um, easier or perhaps more fun for you? Uh, the young adult novels generally are fun to write. Um, but I think my, you know, my main sort of meat and potatoes would be able to write novels much like Broken Man on a Halifax Pier. Uh, if they, if I had better luck in being able to find publishers to publish them, I would certainly more, I would be publishing more of those kind of novels, but it's very difficult finding a, a publisher for them. So uh, kind of with YA novels, they sell, you know, thousands of copies. So I tend to be writing more of them because they seem to be more popular, but it allows me to be, you know, a 16 year old kid again by writing them. Uh, well, as a library person, I have one question I definitely have to ask. And is there a book that you've read recently uh, that you think everybody should read or that you would really highly recommend to us? Oh boy, that's, uh, what have I been reading? Um, reading has been very helpful. I've been reading a lot of books, actually, because it's been really helpful that, you know, during a pandemic, you want a whole lot of books, you know, uh, at your access. And so I've been reading lots of things. I'm going to turn around and look back here for just a second and see what it is that, uh, that I've been reading. Mm. 
You know, um, there is an author, his last name is Troost, T-R-O-O-S-T, and his first name is Martin, M-A-A-R-T-I-N, who writes these wildly funny and crazy travel books, mostly about the South, very remote islands in the South Pacific. So you might want to look him up and if you're brave enough, read one of his books. Um, I, I won't mention any specific title. When you look at the titles, you'll see why I didn't mention the titles. They're, they've got really wild titles that are a little bit misleading. So um, check them out and see what you come up with. That's, that's my suggestion. Awesome, thank you. <laughs> I always like to see what writers are interested in reading because your brains, I'm sure, work differently than ours when you're reading a book. Uh, well, one of my favorite writers who does that travel type book is uh, Bill Bryson, who you're probably more familiar with, right? Mm -hmm. uh, and he writes a lot of books about England and stuff like that. I, I put him on my my list of people I wanted to interview when we went to England for writing around England with a dog book. And he shut me right down. No interview. I don't do interviews. Don't talk to me. I don't want to hear anything about your book. <laughs> I still I'm still a big fan of his. But, you know, I was a little bit shocked that, you know, writers can have the, of course, the full range of personalities, you know, they, they can be warm and friendly or they can like, I don't want to talk to anybody. You know, I'm tired of talking about my books or something. He's still a good writer. and He's very funny, very funny, at least in print. Oh, Mary, you're on mute. I, my phone rang and I turned me off. I, I'm interested in the, the young adult books you write in, in that. What age group and, and how do you go about? I'll, I'll, I'll tell you, my cousin wrote three books with the idea that they would be for young adults. I think they're probably geared to probably 13 to 15 year olds. And it had to do with the, the fall of Troy. And, that. and he did well. He managed to get them published. And I don't know how he did that. But it's sort of, you know, how do you pick a subject? Same way you pick uh, it. Yeah, for me, it's, um, I'll, I'll write something that's contemporary. But all my YA books are contemporary, which means that it's got to be about either the here and now or the near future, uh, not about when I was a kid, you know, so nothing nostalgic. Right. And I'm I'm not smart enough really to do historical novels. I'd rather be kind of in my imagination than doing research. Um, but um, there's one, I have a list of, I pulled up some of my books. The Orca is the publisher from British Columbia and they do amazing things with their marketing, you know, because they, they're able to sell international rights. So, you know, these books like these will appear in Swedish, Slovenian, German, you know, oh. with those kind of things. It's really kind of cool that happens. Um, this would have been an issue-oriented book. They're not all issue-oriented books, but this is the rules have changed, and it has to do with my characters tend to be 16-year-old boys more than girls, just because of you know that's what a writer does. You know, stick to my own gender to, for the most part, although I break that rule as often as I can. But uh, so this had to do with examining some of the stuff that was happening in the United States with immigrants. And with, you know, a move toward a much more rigid, conservative kind of world. So I took it right down to education. 
so that it's set in the near future uh, where a kid goes off sailing to the South Pacific with his idealistic parents. He's away for two years and he comes back and at the school, the rules have changed and it's basically kind of militant brainwashing that's happening to the kids there. And so he gets involved with the underground that's there. And that's pretty much, you know, the idea that I had to get the story going and then just trying to tell a good story beyond that with it, without trying to be, of course, too preachy or anything. So yes. uh, I'll, I'll look around and, you know, I, I've sort of run out of things that are close to home for me. You know, I've written novels that have to do with skateboarding and surfing and, you know, playing in a rock band and things like that. But, you know, beyond that, I had to move into other territories. So sometimes I will do research, you know, I'll, I'll do a new thing. Uh, that involves learning about sailing or learning about dirt bikes or whatever it happens to be. And then I'll use that as a, as a key element in a story. Uh, but, it, you know, beyond having, you know, some of those tricks in there, it's really just about, you know, trying to get into the mind of that character. So as far as I can tell with those YA novels, young adult novels, the main characters tend to be 16. The readers tend to be I think you pretty much nailed it down, somewhere between 12 and 16. So they're coming up to that age and they wanna be reading about somebody who's slightly older, but not too old. And um, a lot of YA books are getting written that are um, published and adults are reading them. I think this is what I read in the New York Times anyway, was that you know YA fiction is very, very popular with a lot of adults these days. And you're seeing you know, a lot of movies being made from young adult novels. So maybe that helps as, as well. But it's a very, it's been a very, very vibrant field in writing and publishing now for, for almost 20 years. And I keep thinking, you know, I've had such a good run at it. I keep thinking it's going to end. Either somebody's going to tell me I'm too old to be writing YA novels. I should know better, or I can't possibly relate to kids that age, or the, the, the popularity of that novel form uh, is going to die out. The strange thing is it hasn't, you know, despite, um, you know, despite internet and video games and everything else, the Y novels are very, very strong. Yeah, that's great. You can't, because if kids are reading YA books, then they will move on to hopefully adult novels and, and keep on reading. Absolutely, yeah. Do you think if you tried to write a YA book hoping that adults would read it? Do you think you would change the way you wrote it? Um, I think that, you know, the, the style of Broken Man on a Halifax Pier is easily adaptable to, um, to the style that I write some of my YA books in, not all of them, but some of them uh, are written in, in that. I've got one YA book that's sort of circulating, looking for a home. It didn't fit into the mold of the publishers that I knew. Um, it's called, let's see if I can remember the name. Um, in the Kingdom of Cheese, There Are No Heroes. Wow. And it's about a young, well, again, 16 year old boy who's uh, quite overweight. And I've never written about an overweight 16 year old boy before. Um, but he, he has, you know, the similarity there is that he's, um, He's got a really strong spirit and a sense of humor that allows him to rise above, you know, the 
you know, when kids give them a hard time or they, you know, put the labels on them or they, you know, post funny pictures about them or whatever, he's got the spirit that allows him to rise above that. And so, you know, that, that was really fun to write, mostly because I could find the voice of that character and that he's really off the wall. And he's, uh, you know, most of my teenage characters are fairly smart. They're highly individualistic. Um, the, you know, all the female characters that always appear in, in those books are very intentionally, they're usually smarter than the men. This is the way it's smarter than the boys. This is the way that it usually goes in real life. And they're, they tend to be also very independent thinkers and quite feisty. So, you know, that for me helps make for, you know, a good YA book. Uh, Lynn, I'm seeing you're just joining us in here. Hi, welcome. <laughs> Did you have any uh, questions that you wanted to ask of Leslie? No, I just got the book and I just read the first, I think, three or four chapters and I'm hooked on it, but the garden's been calling. <laughs> it's a beautiful day for it. Yeah. I just had one last question, Leslie. How many of your books are written with uh, you know the setting being in the East Coast? Do you have lots of books? Uh, yeah, probably at least half of them. Uh, the young adult novels tend to be a little more generic. Uh, I don't do that on purpose, but I learned to do that along the way. Um, Americans don't really want to read, I've been told this anyway, <laughs> put it in quotes, Americans don't want to read about rural Canadian settings. Oh. So, yeah, but so the YA novels, because they get marketed so much in the States, they tend to be generic. It's sort of, you couldn't tell if it was Canada or the United States. It could be coastal somewhere, small town coastal, but it, you know, it's a bit ambiguous. But I never do that with, you know, any of my adult writing or with poetry or things. It's very highly specific. And you know, very, very much charged with uh, with Nova Scotia there. So Nova Scotia is my muse. Is that where you're from? No, I'm from New Jersey originally. Oh, still coastal though, isn't it? Yeah, and that's where I learned to surf, of course, in New Jersey. But you know, very, very different. And uh, you know, I mean, it was a I, I moved up here without a job or anything. I just moved here because this is where I wanted to move to. Well, you did well. <laughs> I had a good run at it so far, but uh, I, I'm more interested in where I go from here rather than where I've been. I don't know if maybe well, everybody that, feels. That's fair. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Most of us are just trying to get on the other side of this damn COVID problem and figure out what we can do with our lives when we can go out the door without worrying about it, which is difficult, <laughs> but it yeah. yeah. And it's slow, it's taken a while for you know, the vaccines to kick in and for us to get past things. So we'll get there. Do you have plans for a new book? I always have some things on the go. Um, and one of my rules is to not talk too much about the books that I'm working on. <laughs> Well, for some in case reason, you don't I finish. Start, well, I start to lose interest in them if I start talking about them. It's got to stay in my head, you know, until I get it down. Yep. Well, that's fair. I have really appreciated your taking the time with us. It's really 
really no, fun. Yes, thank you so much for joining us. Uh, I know we all really appreciate the opportunity to be able to pick your brain a little bit, uh, especially after reading your book and being able to sort of attach the brain to the work, if that makes sense. <laughs> we definitely really appreciate you joining us for this. Great, and I enjoyed uh, sharing my time with you. So uh, I, I wish you well there in the calendar. You're named after a town in Scotland, I bet, right? That's right. You'd be surprised how often the two Google searches get mixed up too, because as far as I can tell, they're the only two calendars. <laughs> so it okay. just sort of just keeps going back and forth. <laughs> yep. Thank you, Leslie. Uh, Great. Okay, I'll say goodbye. Take care. Thanks. Uh, Thank thanks, you. Sarah. Thank you, everyone, for coming. Sarah. Bye. Okay. Bye. All right. Enjoy Bye. the summer. Bye. This has been the first author chat of the Evergreen nominated award authors with the Calendar Public Library. If you would like to join in on the next one, be sure to contact the Calendar Public Library and we will be happy to make sure you don't miss the next one. If you would like to make sure that you can listen to the future of these podcasts, be sure to follow this channel so that you can see all of the upcoming authors. Our next author will be Sarah Kerchak, author of I overcame my autism and all I got was this lousy anxiety disorder. If you'd like to participate, be sure to let us know. Otherwise, it will be posted a week after the event and you can listen to it here.